for some people. It's hard to imagine, but suicide rates go up during holiday seasons, and, and sometimes people have bad memories of lost loved ones. But I just want to encourage you that, that the overall uh, the perspective of Christmas is that God sent his son into the world, and that, that's good news for everybody. That's deliverance for everybody, and so we're talking, I'm doing a Christmas series, and we've been talking about Christmas, the season, and what it means for, for Christians, what it means for everybody, but especially Christians, that God sent his son into the world 2,000 years ago so that the weight of sin could be lifted from us. Have any of you ever felt the weight of sin upon your life? Man, it's, just, it's so heavy, and so God sent Jesus to lift the weight of sin so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be brought into right, right standing with God. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go back and take a biblical perspective because I think sometimes we read the Bible, and especially the Christmas story, from a 21st century perspective, and, uh, and sometimes we, we miss some things or we assume some things. And uh, so one of the... One of the uh, the first things we talked about is, is that when God sent Jesus into the world, he was very strategic and, and uh, intentional in the timing in which he sent Jesus. And on week one, we talked about the fullness of time. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the time was fully come, God sent his son into the world. And we talked about how the world was right for Jesus, for Christianity, for the gospel to spread. And you can hear that on our website if you like to. And then last week we talked about how God was very strategic in who he chose to care for and raise Jesus. Can you imagine being given that responsibility? Uh, but honestly, if we think about it, all the parents in here, uh, we've been given responsibility to raise the kids we have, and, and that's something we have to account for. But we talked about Joseph and Mary, and, and we talked about how to be used by God. And what we noticed about Joseph and Mary, it wasn't that they were from a family of importance. It wasn't that uh, there was anything particularly special about their, their, their class, their family, their name. But what was special about Joseph and Mary is that they had a heart that was prepared and ready to be used by God. And so this morning, I want to talk about a little, a little um, different different part of the story. I'm going to talk about a lesser known character of the story. In fact, a character that uh, I have never, I had never heard a, a message on Sunday on this character except one that I did a number of years ago. And uh, so I'm excited about that. Next week I'm going to talk about, for our Christmas message, it'll be of course very short, but I'm going to talk about joy, joy to the world. And I, I really hope that you'll take the time and you, we all know people that are struggling, that are maybe suicidal, that are just depressed and discouraged. And, and I hope you come next week because it's going to be light, but I think hopefully we can give them a reason to have joy. And uh, so I, I'm going to talk about the innkeeper today, the innkeeper in the Christmas story. And uh, he, he's only, as a matter of fact, the innkeeper is not even mentioned in the Bible, but the Bible does say that Jesus was born in an inn. So we assume that there was an innkeeper. Okay, let's look at that, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. It says this, that in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. And so Joseph, he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, 
to Bethlehem, the town of David. And because he belonged to the house and the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And remember, Joseph and Mary were not yet married. They were pledged together. And I've talked about this before. The pledging process, you had to actually get divorced if you were pledged together. It was, so it was, they, basically they were married, but the ceremony hadn't taken place. They were committed uh, to the relationship. And it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, it's the only mention that we have about the inn where Jesus was born. And we see that the innkeeper was not directly mentioned, but just the fact that Jesus was born in an inn, we, we assume that there was some type of an innkeeper or an owner of it and so forth. You know, throughout, throughout all my years in church, I was raised in church, and there has always been a negative assumption that the innkeeper was some mean, harsh, heartless man who would not allow baby Jesus to be born in a proper setting. How many, let me I'm ask a question. How many of you have ever had positive thoughts about the innkeeper when you read this story? We have one person. We have one person. So that's just a positive person right there because when you read the story, it's kind of hard to have good things about him. But think about this. Every Christmas play, if you were raised in church, you've probably seen, I don't know, 25 or 30 Christmas plays. In every Christmas play, man, you know, it's like, they have to draw, and whoever has the short straw becomes the innkeeper. No one, no one wants to be, you know, the innkeeper. No one, uh, no one wants to, you know, the innkeeper has one line. There is no room in the inn. We don't even know if that was said, but that's the one line they said. There's no room for him in the inn. So if we're honest, you know, kids, they always, they always want to be, kids never dream about being the innkeeper. They want to be Joseph or Mary or a wise man or an angel, or a shepherd, or, or even one of the stable animals, right? And one year we had a, this was a long time ago, we had a, we had, we, we had a Christmas play when we first, one of the first years we started the church, and so Tracy, she made costumes for all the animals. And Ty, who's now, he's 22, yeah, I believe so. And he was like four years old, and he was a donkey. And he had ears and everything, and he, they were sitting down there, and uh, the play is going on, and all of a sudden, about 30 minutes into the play, Ty just started saying, hee-haw, hee-haw. I mean, just loud and just didn't, didn't stop, you know, and uh, kind of stole the show there. And uh, now the people that were trying to talk weren't happy, but all the parents, you know, if you're a parent and someone else's kid messes up, you know, that's, that's, if it's yours, it's not so funny, you know. But anyway, but, but think about this. Kids, you know, they never want to be, uh, you know, the innkeeper. No one wants to be the one who stands there and, set, and tells Joseph and Mary there's no room for you. Uh, there's no room for baby Jesus uh, to be born. I was, uh, one, a friend of mine, his church, they were having a Christmas play, and these two boys, these two boys were just kind of rivals. They, just, they were just rivals, and they were competitive, and both of them tried out to be Joseph. And, of course, only one of them could be Joseph. And, and so the, one of them, of course, was chosen to be Joseph, and the other one was chosen to be the innkeeper. And he wasn't very excited about being the innkeeper. And so he, he decided that he had to change the script a little bit. 
to make himself look better. And so the play is going on, and Joseph and Mary, they come in, you know, and, and they come to the inn, and they knock on the door, and, the, and Joseph asks the innkeeper, is there any room in the inn? And the innkeeper, he just says, absolutely, come on in, and I'll give you the best room. So Joseph, knowing what's going on, he looks in there and says, this place is a dump. We'll go out in the courtyard with the animals. And so everyone is having a great time except the lady who's in charge of the Christmas play. You know, she's ready to string some boys up. But I mean, think about it. Have any of you, have any of you ever worked in a hotel or a motel as the innkeeper? Anyone here? I have. Ralph, just, just three of us, me, you, and Benita, we're the only ones. I just want to let you know, anyone that's ever gone to a hotel or motel and you give the innkeeper, the clerk there, a hard time, you really should repent for that, you know? They, they don't own the hotel. They're just trying to, to, to do, do the, the best they can. So I actually, I had a job as an innkeeper at Ocarina Springs. Have you ever been to San Marcos? Ocarina Springs, uh, you know, it's beautiful. It's the head of, head of the San Marcos River, and they have glass-bottom boats. And so I was actually the security guard. But I got called back into the military uh, for Desert Storm, and whenever I came back, they couldn't fire me. They had to give me a job, and they replaced me as a security guard, so I got to be the hotel clerk, the all-night shift. And so, you know, they had these glass-bottom boats, and they have all these beautiful fish in Ocarina Springs there. They used to, albino catfish, all kind of things. And so one night, about midnight, we're out there. I was standing. You could stand on the deck of the hotel and see the water, and this I told the security guard, man, there are some really big fish in there. I, I, I love to fish. If you don't know that, I love to fish. And the hotel guard, guard, I mean, the security guard said, you couldn't catch one. I said, I sure could. I said, I guarantee you I catch, I catch more than one. I catch fish all night if I want to. And, and I said, I don't have my pole tomorrow night. We're both doing the all-night shift. I'm going to bring my pole. I'm going to catch one of those fish. And so, sure enough, I brought it the next night. And... You know, I didn't have any, I didn't have any bait, so I, I went to the supply room, and I got a piece of pizza crust, and I put on there, and I threw out, there's three in the morning, three in the morning, and wouldn't you know, I hooked the biggest albino catfish that there was, you know, and the thing is, is like they paid to have those put in there for the glass bottom boats and everything, and he's just taking my line down the river, and, and all of a sudden, you know, out on the porch, one of the guests come out there, came out there to take a smoke at 3 in the morning. And I'm like, dude, get you a patch or something, you know? Go back to bed. Leave me alone. And uh, so I'm fighting this fish, and, and the guy tells me, just cut the line. I'm like, I can't. The glass-bottom boats are going to see it. So I'm fighting this fish. It, like 30 minutes, I'm fighting this fish. And, the, and then the, uh, the, the guest in the room says, hey, you got the big one. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my job, you know? I said, hey, can we keep this just between you and I? He's like, yeah, no problem. Let, let's see you land this thing. So anyway, long story short, I, I, I caught the fish. I told the security guard, I told you so. I told the guest, thank you for not telling my boss. Went on, went on, about, went on about my business. So if you, uh, maybe that you'll have some appreciation if you ever go and stay in a hotel and things just aren't perfectly sat, satisfactory. Just think that Pastor Terry used to get chewed out by guests and we're going to show Christian love. Christian love to people. Let's, let, let's talk about the real story of the innkeeper, the, the real story. And I want to go through this narrative about the birth of Jesus at the end and look, look at it from a historical perspective so maybe we can learn a few things and, and really have a proper thinking and setting 
in perspective when we read the story because I believe we, we've made a lot of uh, wrong assumptions that really uh, that may hurt us when we talk about the narrative of the birth, the birth of Jesus. And the very first thing you have to get to is why were they in Bethlehem? Well, they were in Bethlehem because the prophets hundreds of years earlier had prophesied that the Messiah, the Savior, was to be born in Bethlehem. And so if Jesus was born in, Beth, in, in Nazareth, he could not have been the Messiah. He had to be born in Bethlehem. And so they lived, this is amazing too, although they lived in Nazareth, we found out that there was, there was a, um, a census decree that was taken of the Roman world. And in the Roman world, a census was taken every 14 years. So every 14 years in the Roman Empire, they took a census. And they took a census for two reasons. First of all, so that they could find out who should be paying taxes. The government's always worried about taxes. They want your money, right? Uh, they're good at spending it, so they need to get some. And, and the second was all was, was to make sure who should be incorporated into the military role. And, of course, the Jewish people, Israel, they were exempt from military service. So the reason that Joseph and Mary were going to uh, Bethlehem was to register with their family and, and, and to make sure that they were, uh, you know, counted for taxation per, uh, purposes. And it's, it's very interesting because uh, archaeologists have discovered many of, the, uh, many of these uh, census edicts. They found them in the library in Egypt. And uh, they, the, uh, several years ago, they believe they found the, the edict, the census edict for our story right here. Uh, they're going to put it up on the screen, and this is how it reads. Gaius Vibius Maximus, prefect of Egypt, orders, seeing that the time has come for the house-to-house -house census, it is necessary to compel all those for whom any cause whatsoever are residing outside of their districts to return to their own homes that they both, both, may both carry out the regular order of the census and may also diligently attend to the cultivation of their allotment. And someone says, well, why, why is this important? And because this gives us, again, historical credibility that this wasn't just made up. This was actually a historical event. And again, it happened just in the right time to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem where Jesus uh, needed to be born. And it says that, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. Again, that's another important thing. The, 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 had, they had to be in the house of David, the, the lineage of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. But look at, look at this line here. But while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, this is uh, an important element we need to talk about is when Jesus was, was born. And the traditional view, the traditional view is Joseph puts Mary on a donkey and they take the trip from Nazareth all the way, uh, you know, down to Bethlehem, which, by the way, was 80 miles. And the traditional view was, like, she goes into labor, like, as they're entering and they're trying to find something and, you know, goes to the innkeeper, Mary's in labor and she's, you know, all this stuff and she has the baby immediately. That, that's not what happened. Uh, this story says that while they were there, you know, while they were there, the time came for the baby born. So they were there, they were at the inn, 
and Joseph was probably taking care of a lot of the details, uh, registering for the census, things like that. So while they were there, we don't know if it's several days later, a week later, several weeks later, but it became time for the baby to be born. And, and the next thing we need to talk about is the inn itself. And so, I, you know, I, w- I want you to think about this. This is how the inn would have been. And you can probably uh, Google this and find out a traditional inn in, in Bethlehem during the time of Jesus. But basically, it was like this. When you, you walked in the main gateway, there was a big open courtyard, a public courtyard. And then off the courtyard, there were individual, they, they called them stalls. But they would be little rooms today. And so when it says that there was no room in the end for Jesus, what they meant was that all of the individual rooms, all the individual stalls were taken, so the innkeeper allowed them to stay in the public courtyard where all the animals would have been. And so the innkeeper, he let them in, but there just was, they didn't have a personal room for them. And at this time, the innkeeper was responsible for two things for all of his guests. He had to provide a fire for them to cook the food that they provided for themselves, and he would provide fodder for all, the, all of his animals. So even when he let, they let Joseph and Mary into the courtyard, he would have still provided fodder for their animals, and he would have provided a common fire uh, for them to be cooked with. So in reality, you could say that the innkeeper provided them with a place to stay, fodder for their animals, and a fire to cook, and... Uh, But the story tells us that they did not get their own private room. There was no private stall for them. So you could possibly even make the argument that the innkeeper did the very best he could with what he had. You could could say that. You could say that he he provided. We we don't know how many inns they tried. We don't know if this was the first one. But you could could make the argument uh, that, that... with the situation presented to them, he, he tried to give them, he gave them a place to stay. It wasn't in the best place, but it was. And now I'm sure as the story started to unfold, because pretty soon after Jesus was born, remember there's shepherds out in the fields. And the shepherds come here. Uh, now you say, well, the wise men came too. No, the wise men came about a year later, because when the wise men come, it says they found Jesus in a home, in a house, okay? And, and, but, but think about this. You know, the, there's this birth of Jesus, all these shepherds come in from the fields, and, and there's, there's angels, you know, seeing glory, you know, glory, to, glory on high. Uh, so I'm sure when the innkeeper saw this, I mean, I'm sure as things transpire, you know, he probably would have given him his own place to sleep if he had known all this. And it's just like with us, sometimes we're going through life and we, we're doing the best we can, and sometimes on hindsight, we would have done things better. We would have done things differently, uh, but, you know, he, did, he just didn't know. So you could argue they did the very best he could, but you could also argue after everything transpired, if he had it to do over, I don't think Joseph and Mary would have been in the courtyard. I think he would have found a place, even if it was his own personal residence. And so I, I was thinking about this because I believe when we read the Bible, I believe if we try hard enough, if we think hard enough, that every story can relate to our lives today. Every story can teach us something about ourselves, something about how to live for Christ, how to, how, to, how to live for him better. And so I believe this story was written with a message for future generations. I believe this story has a message for all of us today. And I think it's a pointed message. And I believe there's a symbolic message that we can use in our lives today 
See, in this story, what we see is that there are about three possible outcomes for where we put Jesus in our lives. There's just a couple. It really, I think if we really read this story and then we think about how we're living, think about what we're doing with Jesus, I believe that we have to come to the conclusion that uh, there are only a, three possible outcomes for what we do with Jesus. And, and the first one is this, is that some people have absolutely no room for Jesus in their lives. I mean, some people living, going through life, and, and we see them all the time, uh, they have no room for anything spiritual. They have no room for Jesus. And, you know, our story today, the story of Jesus, it's a story of activity. If you think about it, people are coming to register in Bethlehem from all over. They're traveling from all over, all over parts of, it, of Israel to come to different places wherever they're supposed to register. And so, you know, the city is packed, the streets are full, homes are full, the inns are full, and everything is just full. And, you know, we don't know, again, we don't know how many places Joseph and Mary tried before they found one that even let them stay in the courtyard. But it's just a story of, of, of activity. It's a story um, where everything is busy, everything is bustling, everyone has, has activity and responsibilities to do. And I think in many of our lives today, there are many, and maybe many of you in here, who you're so busy, you are so busy with life, you're so busy with activities, you're so busy with work, you're so busy with your kids, you're so busy that really you don't have any time for Jesus. You don't have time, you don't have any room for him in your schedule. Uh, you're just going through life and Again, we think, but everything on my schedule is important. And I just want to say to you this morning, in the nicest way possible, not everything on your schedule is important. Not everything on my schedule is important, right? I mean, just write your schedule out for me. I'll find 10 or 20 things, right? That we've made them important, but in reality, they're not. See, we do that. Oh, we have to do this. We have... No, we don't. we don't have to do everything. We don't have to do everything. And especially as Christians, if we're so busy that we can't give God some of our time, some of our money, if we can't give him our heart, then, then we, we are just, uh, we're just, we're just too busy. And so my prayer this morning is that you'll evaluate your life, and if you've made no room for Jesus, I hope that you'll make the necessary changes in your life this year. But you know what I would suggest, most probably, that most everyone in here, they do have time for Jesus because you're, you're in church today. But a lot of the people, just think about it, a lot of the people that we meet with and talk with, a lot of our family members, they don't have any time for Jesus. They make no room for Jesus. So this is where most of us may fall. That some people have allowed Jesus to come into their lives, but they have him out in the common courtyard. You know, and just, so think about this. The, the innkeeper made room for Jesus but if we're honest about the situation, it was not the best place. And I'm sure, again, I, in hindsight, I'm sure that he would do better given the, the opportunity. I, I'm sure that he would have had Jesus in his own personal setting, his own personal quarters there. But if you think about this, when we come into relationship with Jesus, I mean, think about before you met Jesus, 
you know, you're living a life. And when you give your life to Jesus and allow Jesus to come into your life, you, nor- you, you normally you don't give him the best place, but you realize, I need Jesus. You, re- you realize there's something wrong. And so, again, you don't mean to put him in the courtyard, but when Jesus comes into your life, it takes a while to arrange certain things to get Jesus where he needs to be, which is at the center of of our lives. And so as our relationship with Jesus grows, we, we should, in our lives, we should move Jesus from the courtyard into our personal residence. Or you could say in today's English, we should move God, Jesus from the bottom priority to the top priority. There should be a transfer as we grow in our relationship with the Lord. But I think what happens, what happens that, you know, in our lives, that again, we have Jesus in the courtyard, and our goal is to put him in a better place. Our, our goal is to, to make him more important in our lives, but we just get busy. The pressures of life, uh, affluence that we live in today, man, we have so many things going. And so it's not that we want Jesus to be in the courtyard, but we just, we just haven't made the necessary sacrifices to put him where he really needs to be. And, and honestly, I, I see this is the biggest problem in the church today. We have a relationship with Jesus, but it's on our own terms. I mean, we would never, we, 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 we talk like Jesus is in our personal residence, that he has a priority in our lives. But when we look at our schedules, when we look at our time, when we look at our finances, when we look at what really is a priority, we, we see, man, Jesus is down number five or six, and we have a bunch of things above him. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's where we're at, we're at today. Uh, you know, we, you know, I mean, we come to church when it's convenient. We read our Bibles. We pray when it's, when it's convenient. We give money when there's any left over. I mean, these are all just signs that he's out in the courtyard. So here's the key element. How do you get Jesus from the courtyard of my life into my personal residence, into the, the, the priority of my heart? And, and what it is, it's real simple. It's one word. It's just about commitment. Whatever we're committed to is what we give the highest priority to. And then there's a third area. Of course, some have an all-out commitment to Jesus and have him at the center of their lives. And, of course, this is the goal in our relationship uh, with Jesus. Uh, it, it is only when we give him the proper place in our lives that he can truly begin to make a difference in our lives. And, again, if you have Jesus in a comfortable position where you feel comfortable, where you see him when you want to, uh, see, it's when you move him into the close quarters of your heart that he's able to start uh, working on your attitudes, on your character, you know, on, on the things that, 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 really, that really matter in your life. But here, here's the thing, because uh, God is a gentleman and he wants us to choose him. He wants us to, to choose Jesus on, on his own will. So here's the thing. Jesus is not going to force his way into your personal residence. He wants, it, he wants it to be a decision. I'm going to tell a story. This is, um, some of you have heard this before, but it's one of the best stories that, I, that, I heard, that I've heard about what we do with Jesus and where he's at in our life. And 
So my dad, well, he pastored a church in Gonzales, Texas, which if you've been there, it's a, a little country town, and it was much smaller way back then. And, and so my dad loved to hunt, and he loved to quail hunt. So he had this, you know, a lot of, a lot of ranchers went to our church, and so they had just hundreds and thousands of acres, beautiful land. And so one of them really liked to hunt. And so, you know, they took their bird dogs, you know, quail dogs, they run all over, and you have to walk a lot. So he had all these, all these hills and everything. And um, so my dad noticed they were chasing some birds down in this one section. And every time the dog started going that way, the, the rancher would blow his whistle twice and send the dogs the other way. And, and my dad never could figure out it. He's like, well, why don't we go down? The birds are down there. Why don't we go down there? Oh, no, that's, it's dangerous down there. It's not good down there. And so my dad could never figure that out. And so... Um, he, he, you know, they finished their hunting trip, and he went back, and he was talking to someone else, and he was telling another guy in the church that he's like, oh, he didn't let you. Yeah, he doesn't take anyone on the back 40. And my dad's like, well, why? Well, he's got, he's got a moonshine still back there. Everyone but my dad, because he was new in town, everyone in town knows that he has a moonshine still back there. So you can go anywhere on your property you want, you just can't go near the moonshine because that would make him feel bad about himself. And I started thinking about that. You know, <coughs> excuse me, when we have Jesus in one place and he's not allowed in other places, you know what's funny? We think we're fooling people. But your wife knows, your husband knows, your kids know, your pastor knows, Right? I mean, everyone knows, but isn't that funny how we try to deceive ourselves? Uh, we try to deceive ourselves, but see, there's just a difference in our lives when Jesus is allowed to work in our lives, when he's allowed to challenge things in our lives. And when that happens, when that relationship is there, when he's a priority, it changes who we are, it changes our behavior, it changes our action, it changes our attitudes. I mean, it just, it changes everything about us, and we begin to grow. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, you know, I'm trying to grow in my relationship with the Lord, but I just, I'm just not growing. And I think that's a funny question. Because growing is very simple if you let Jesus on the inner courts of your heart. Now, you may not like what he tells you. You may like some of the pain you're feeling. But growth is easy when you allow him to come in and really begin to work in your life and so let me, let me present this to you. God sent Jesus in the world to have an impact in our lives. He didn't send Jesus just to forgive our sins and, and make, us, make us feel better. He sent Jesus not just to forgive our sins, but to bring total redemption in our lives. To, to, to change who we are, to change our character, to bring us closer into an intimate relationship with, with the Father. And you just can't do that if Jesus is a part of your life, but not really a big part. Are you with me this morning? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And I just want you just, just to take an honest moment here this morning. And, you know, the Christmas season is beautiful. To get, it's a, a family is Families are getting together. We're getting each other gifts. We're spending time together. It's a great time. But 
the purpose of Christmas was God sending Jesus into the, into the world so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be restored, so that we could be delivered from the sinful habits and the things that have been really just getting in our way. So would you take just a moment this morning? And would you just evaluate your life? And just think, where, where is Jesus at? Do I have no relationship with Jesus? Do I have a dysfunctional relationship with Jesus in that I let him in a little bit, but not too much? Or are you all, all in for Jesus this morning? Just, just take a moment to think, consider that.